Welcome to Never Rewrites. I'm Isaac Askew. And I'm Jeffrey Sherman. And today we're going to continue with testing Brownfield code. So Isaac, last time we left off, we had gotten the Brownfield code to a point mm -hmm. where we felt, or not felt, we had end-to-end -end tests we could automate that were fully automated. And we felt that this was where you leave it. Now you've got some, you know your happy paths. You're, you're fairly confident that you haven't broken your happy paths mm -hmm. when you're making tests. And now you're ready to actually do some some refactoring. So what's next? Yeah, the refactoring piece is <clears throat> kind of the key piece because that's what you're working towards to begin with. Um, I mean, the idea, sure, the end result is to have better tests because that's how you test Brownfield code is the episode title. Uh, but <laughs> to get there, you actually have to go through and make it, I think we mentioned last time we have to make it testable, which requires kind of like the scaffolding in place that we can go through and refactor the tests or sorry, refactor the code. So it's a lot easier to test the right way because we, we don't want to leave those acceptance tests that we mentioned last episode in production forever. Those are the expensive slow ones. We eventually want to replace them with good unit tests, good integration tests, and then kill the scaffolding. Okay. So we have the scaffolding and now we're going to start refactoring. Uh, I assume what we do is we rewrite the whole thing from scratch <laughs> no. He <laughs> <laughs> just allows him to nod and be like, yeah, Jeffrey. <laughs> yeah, no. Don't do not do that. Uh, going off the, the things we talked about pre-show, the thing that I like to do next is put in a feature flag mm -hmm. between whichever parts I'm refactoring and whatnot so that I leave. Like, So I'm going to do, start doing quick hits on refactoring and while I'm very not confident in my work because it's at the beginning and, and again, we're going with untested code, mm -hmm. you know, put an if block in or put a feature flag around with an if block around the original code and then put the refactor code on the other side of the if block. Mm -hmm. And that way, if you screw up, which you will sometimes, you can quickly toggle the feature flag off or on and, you know, roll back in production quickly. Uh, that's very important for those of you who are not continuous delivery, which is most people. And doing a release would be difficult or at least time consuming. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of not using like the large feature branches to do this kind of work. I like I like the same concept of um, adding the feature flag. Mainly, mainly because you, we we already know that testing brownfield code is a little more risky and dangerous. We talked about last episode, put 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 enough tests in place, reasonable tests for like a happy path. But there's you don't want to spend too much time trying to cover every path with acceptance tests. It's just enough to provide that kind of scaffolding we we're talking about. So that means that if you do break something, you want to be able to roll back very quickly. And instead of doing an actual rollback rollback, what you mentioned is the feature flag toggle can be an insanely fast rollback, so to speak. Uh, just to make sure you're going down the different path again and you can go back and correct it very quickly. Because the idea is to minimize downtime. The reason people don't want to test and refactor these things is because they say it's so dangerous and it can be, but you want to make it you want to make it a habit to do it the safest way so that people are incentivized later when you pitch the idea to, oh, we should go through and test this other brownfield code. They go, oh, Jeffrey and Isaac have really smart uh, things in place that will let them do this, that will minimize downtime and still get the job done. So yes, working under a feature flag, I would say 
you, you should almost always be doing that. Like ship all your code to production. You can still ship it behind the feature flag, but just don't let it get in the stale branch that gets out of date. They have to do rebasing or, you know, resolving merge conflicts or things like that on having it already shipped to production and behind that flag is really beneficial. Right. That's one of our core concepts, which is never have a long standing branch of which a full rewrite is of course the longest standing branch possible Yeah, where you've got code that you're working on. Uh, and we did a show a few days, a few shows ago about if you've got a branch and you're refactoring something or for an upgrade and somebody is continuing to change the code underneath you, that causes lots of problems too. Mm -hmm. And so feature flag, keep getting your changes out as quickly with as low risk as possible. Just keep shipping them, thesis shipping them, as we say. Um, so what else can you do? Should you be doing, I guess, to minimize the risk? So we're, you're going to start refactoring and this is the Brownfield code. So, you know, you, mm -hmm. you, if you should feel fairly confident, you haven't totally screwed up, but you're also acknowledging that there's a lot of low risk, well, not low risk, small risk where you're going to have edge cases that are, you might break. So what else? You've got feature flags. Uh, do you want, you know, how about, what else do you have for observability so that you can tell when things are going badly? Um, before we get to the observability one, I do, I do want to mention too, that whenever you're mm. refactoring some pieces, you want to start on the biggest problem first. You don't want to, you know, do some small refactoring of tiny little pieces that don't really make too much of a difference because the, the idea is you're trying to get in the meat and potatoes of the thing. So try to tackle like some of the juiciest parts of the refactoring. That's like the core the thing that would break the happy path, so to speak, because that's that's the main problem point you're trying to tackle. So don't get caught up in trying to do tiny micro optimizations for other little pieces like name formatting and you know things like that. Look for the the, the juiciest part of the feature you're trying to refactor. I'm going to disagree with you slightly there because I find a lot of time with the thorny code reordering and renaming things mm -hmm. often adds a ton of clarity. Oh, you can still tidy, like the Kent back uh, tidy first concept. You could still go through and tidy. I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying you should skip all that. I'm saying just don't get hung up on the smaller pieces. Oh, yes. Yeah. Definitely don't. Um, and then it's an interesting question. So part of and you know, the question of, well, what's the meat and the potatoes? We said in the beginning of yesterday's ep or last episode, what? Why are you even touching this brownfield code? Because if you don't have a reason, you probably should just let mm -hmm. it be. You've probably got bigger fish to fry. So whatever the piece, the, whatever your reason is, that should direct you pretty quickly to the juiciest right. parts. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So <clears throat> the next piece you asked about was uh, kind of like observability part. Um, this part is just uh, kind of a nice to have for whenever you're shipping this code to production, just like we talked about with the feature flag being able to toggle it off quickly. Mm -hmm. You need to know why you need to toggle it off quickly, right? Um, and you want, to, you want that to be a reason that's not a customer's reason. And so what I mean by that is you want some kind of alerting in place to let you know you screwed up. You want to catch it before everyone else does. Um, so it's, this, is kind of, this is why it's good to have somebody on your team that's kind of like a, a bit more... Paranoid, paranoid is the wrong word. <laughs> but we all have some people on the team that are like, you know, they're, that are good folks to rely on and they're really concerned about the quality of their work. And they're super vigilant that whenever you ship this new code, they're like, all right, let's take a look. Let's do, let's run through the happy path tests again. Let's do some of the edge cases that are tested and cover and make sure things are good. Mm -hmm. And then have something in place 
by which uh, it can trigger like an alert. Either that's through like Sentry that we mentioned before that might send a Slack alert to you or just something by which you can catch it before the customer does, right? Right. And worst case, if you have if you don't have nice tools like Sentry or Datadog, you should, God help you, you should have some kind of aggregated logging system that you can query. And mm-hmm. so if, if nothing else, during the first few hours that you release, check the logs. Oh, for sure. Yeah, some people <laughs> don't have all the kind of fancy third-party integrations with alerting and things like that. But then you take that vigilant person on your team, whether it's yourself or someone else, and at least do some sanity checks. Once the feature flag is on, go and poke around the old code in areas you think it might break. Check the logs. Make sure the logs look clean and good. And then just kind of do your due diligence about the, the new code. Because the idea is, again, like the, the, the more you can refactor this code uh, with the least amount of people complaining, especially mm-hmm. the customer... The more, the more people are going to trust that you're the one who can do this job. Um, yeah, go ahead. I, I was going to say, now that we're talking about it, one thing that I think I usually do rather than meat and potatoes is I immediately go after all the noise in the log mm-hmm. just because that will make life easier going forward. So in a lot of brownfield code, you get warnings, you get info notices that are meaningless, you get... Yeah. I mean, I, I've looked at some brownfield code that in its regular execution would throw an exception, you know, one, at least one exception a second. And that was normal. Like that was just. Yeah. And so fixing all that until you get to the point where, okay, now I can look at my logs and I shouldn't see anything or I shouldn't see anything bad anyway. I shouldn't see any errors. That's a good way to start with the refactoring of let's fix all the the things that the code is already telling us is wrong, but are yeah. it's okay enough to be wrong in production. Got it. That's a good call out. Yeah, that, that definitely can be like another guiding factor for what to touch and what to refactor. Um, it kind of, but it kind of also reminded me of a previous episode of ours where we were talking about you know knowing your system well because. Like you're mentioning, you might already have one exception per second. That's a normal thing. And maybe that's not even part. Maybe it's part of the, the code base you're working on, but not part of the product refactor that you're trying to touch. Mm-hmm. And so you should at least be aware of the normal. That way you don't freak out whenever you're like, whoa, you know, the logs are throwing up you know, exceptions and you get misled thinking it was your fault with the feature flag refactor. That's actually just a normal <laughs> exception you guys never fixed. Uh, so having a little bit of knowledge around how the code currently performs and the current logging situation doesn't hurt. Yeah. I remember recently, well, not that recently anymore. At one time I was looking at an exception and and it was just, it was an endpoint and it was getting probed by scripts, you know, just looking for PHP vulnerabilities. And so it would get not hammered, but it was getting hit like once a minute by just script execution vulnerabilities that, weren't getting through because they were just getting, you know, it would just get thrown to errors and logged. I'm like, okay, let's not log these anymore or at least lower the warning level. Yeah. Because all we're doing is filling our logs with, you know, hacker spam. (laughs) And it's good that we're catching it, right? It's good that it doesn't, but like it's, it's clearly getting caught at the very outer level like it's supposed to. And we shouldn't spam our logs with it. Got it. All right. <clears throat> I think I have one um, one other 
subtitle, so to speak. Okay. Uh, that's basically just don't give up. <laughs> An inspirational subtitle. It's good. Uh, it, it can you. There's two parts to that. Go on. Go. What's your inspirational? Just don't give up. Yeah, basically, you are testing code that's old and hard to test and easy to break. So you're scared to touch it. Even when you can put the scaffolding in place, there's always a bit of risk that your halfway pass missed something that ended up being kind of important or a little more visual, like that, you know, products people could see or customers could see. Um, so you can be a bit nervous to touch that. Um, but if you keep at it um, and you, you, you'll get good at this process and, you know, is even... The first time that you actually do accidentally push something, you know, you can turn it off real fast with the feature flag. It's not as bad as, you know, you'll ever think it is. It's, it's fine. It's code. You can get past it. Um, but if you succeed with getting at least some minimal rewriting in there and better test coverage, um, and then you can take away some of the scaffolding because the other refactor test code kind of handles it for you, then you're going to thank your future self the next time you come and touch that code. Mm -hmm. And your colleagues, when they come there and go, oh, this is really easy to extend thanks to, you know, Isaac or Jeffrey's refactoring, they're going to be happy too. Uh, it's going to pay huge dividends. Uh, and the loose metaphor that I had for this, because it may not be the best one, but it was one that just kind of came to mind, is whenever you're driving on the road and then you see that there's traffic, uh, there's um, uh, like road repair up ahead. Mm -hmm. and there's backed up traffic and you go, ah, oh, there's one lane closed. And you're kind of bummed about it because it's backed up traffic and you're trying to get through. Um, but they're, they're fixing a, you know, a bunch of potholes or a bunch of issues, or maybe they're extending the road, all these kind of good actual infrastructure things that you're going to be happy about. But in the moment you're like, ah, and that, uh, could, could metaphorically be customers that are mad that you're not rolling out the feature fast enough or managers or, you know, other people who are responsible for the speed of the team. And you feel like you're getting slowed down because you kind of are, you, you're, you're mm -hmm. pulled off feature work while you work on refactoring. But once you actually get all the maintenance done and the roads opened up and nice and clean and paved over, everyone's a lot happier with the extended roads, with the lack of potholes and that kind of thing. Yes. I, I live in Chicago and Chicago is doing this exact thing to our main highway, the Edens, uh, mm -hmm. which is for those of you in Boston and Seattle, it is the 9094, which is the same one you've got. <laughs> it goes all the way across. <laughs> uh, so we're down to one lane going south, and it mm -hmm. is brutal. Yeah. But thankfully, winter is coming, and that ends construction season. So I, I hope, fingers crossed, that the lanes will be open, at least for the winter. And we always feel inconvenienced when we see that kind of backed-up lane stuff. But we never, we, we rarely take the time as we're driving through on, on a road and go, you know what? I'm so glad this road is here and it works so well. No, no one ever really thinks that. We just expect it, but yes. it requires maintenance. Um, so we should be grateful. Maybe next time you're riding on the <laughs> on a paved road, you should reflect and be like, "I am really happy somebody maintained this thing." I, I am happy they maintained it. I <laughs> just wish they didn't need to shut down so many dang lanes. Mm. Uh, another thing that's worth pointing out: if you're doing it, if you're doing your brownfield refactor the way we're talking about, where you're doing it incrementally and it immediately goes into production. If you do have to stop, because this often happens, is you get 25, 30%, you do some of the work, you clean up things enough that you can then make the change that product was pushing for without feeling absolutely terrified, and maybe then you have to stop. All of those changes, all that work, it's locked in. Mm -hmm. It's there for the next time. So yeah. whether that's future you or somebody else, 
six months, a year later, the code is still in a better place. It's still much more testable. You now have these end to end tests. And the next time the next developer, which is probably you, but maybe not, will have a much better time. Even if you don't get anywhere close to being done, all of the work that you do, it, it gets locked in. Mm-hmm. It's a good call out. Um, it's iter- delivering iteratively. Delivering so locked in little little pieces. So, and that's something we've we've mentioned that phrase. I don't know what episode is this one? 30, 31? <laughs> 32? I think it's thirty two. Thirty two. It'll yeah, be thirty two. We've mentioned I that think. phrase like ten times over the last thirty two episodes. So yes, well that that's the whole definition of thesis shipping. Mm-hmm. Changing it a little bit, but never never changing the whole thing. Uh, one last call out. We're trying something new uh, with this two parter. We're going to have a flowchart attachment, a flowchart worksheet, mm-hmm. maybe even call it a flow sheet. Mm-hmm. And we're going to attach that to part one and hopefully part two. And let us know what you think. Maybe if it's useful, not useful. Do you love it? Hate it? Uh, we're trying things. We're And hopefully it's helpful to you. Uh, thanks so much for watching and listening. Uh, I'm Jeffrey Sherman. And I'm Isaac Askew. And this is Never Rewrite. <laughs>